0: to another exciting special edition of Wilco the Podcast. Our guest tonight is Mark Greenberg. We are thrilled to have him. Mark is the studio manager and part of the production team at The Loft, Wilco Chicago Recording Studio and HQ. Mark composes and produces music for film, television, and video games through his own studio, the Mayfair Recordings Workshop. Mark and his wife Anne Marie are the lucky parents to three talented and warm hearted children, a longtime contributor and advocate of art and music in Chicago. Mark was the assistant talent booker at Lounge Axe, was a founding member of the Cocktails and continues to play and record with 11th Dream Day, among others mark welcome to welcome to the podcast we're thrilled to have you thank you so much for having me
1: we were just listening to 11th dream day before you got on oh nice yeah the, the the latest album
0: yeah it's great we we didn't we didn't plan on talking about that but but what's what's going on with with you guys lately is any new music in the mix?
2: You never know. You know, Eleventh Dream Day has been around a long, long time. I mean, way you know, I uh, way before I was. You know, I've only I, the, the joke is that I'm the new guy in the band. I've only been playing in the band for 24 years. <laughs> So uh you know it it, it th- at this point, it's um we get together when we when we want to get together, and uh if Rick has songs to record, we make a record if he doesn't, you know if if somebody offers a show and we want to do it, it's pretty easy. It's pretty, you know, low impact, um, and therefore we only have to do the things we really enjoy, which is which is nice.
0: that's great you guys you guys recorded your last album at the loft is that
2: right? we did yeah it started off a little bit as a rick rizzo solo record he thought and uh as it came together it became clearer and clearer that you know it was an 11th dream day record and you know he's like mm, i should we should get janet to come in and drum on this one doug play bass and it's like okay well that's you've just named everybody in the band so we it, en- and it ended up being a double record um which was a total a total blast and we were able to do that you know piecemealed over uh, over time it was good yeah. over the pandemic and and such
0: amazing and you play keyboards in the band
2: yeah yeah in that band uh we, we kind of switch around every once in a while when i first joined doug would want to play guitar so i got to play bass when he did it and when janet wants to sing up front i get to play drums so i'm kind of an auxiliary member that's amazing it is amazing because like, you know, that, that's a band that like, I really love. And so to be able to kind of like be sitting in the drum, you know, on a drum throne yeah. and watching them play, because in a lot of ways it still is like watching them play. Like I, I feel part of the band, of course, but like, you know, I get to yeah. watch dream day from the stage. That's States. so cool. Yeah. It's fun. being
0: a fan of your own band. It sounds like that's amazing. <laughs> cool. We, we have a, we got a loose outline here. I think you, got most of the questions we're going to throw at you. Let's go back though. You, you were interviewed on the, I don't know if I can call it like our sister podcast, our, our cousin podcast, wink, wink, um, Wilco will love you. Great episode. Go check that out everybody. But that was a really cool way for us to learn a little bit more about your work at the loft. And they had asked you a question, you know, Hey, how did, how did you come to connect to getting this job as the manager at the loft and i remember you said well it's kind of a long story and we thought you know what maybe we can kind of go into that a little bit more can you go into that long story about like how you ended up being the the manager at the loft
2: i mean how long do we want it
1: <laughs> you, you you decide you decide mark how, how much editing work should we give matt yeah
2: no. i was born in so like When I moved, I went to art school in Kansas City, Missouri, and um, I was in a band with my friends uh, called the Cocktails. And when we graduated, um, we all moved to Chicago um, because we thought we, you know, we had 15 songs and we thought we could just move to Chicago. You know, Um, that's what you do. And so we tried, you know, we we gave around our records and try to play different places and we found Lounge Axe, which was just like the best club of anywhere, you know, like the calendar was incredible every night of the every night of the month was just something that we want to play on or we'd want to go see. And so we had started to bug them over and over again trying to get a show. I mean, I think I said this on the other podcast where we we were so dumb that we would drive down to Lounge Axe and look in the window and look at the look at their calendar to see if we were on it. <laughs> <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't quite exactly sure how it worked, you know, like, no, no, we're not on it. I guess I guess we're not playing this uh. month. Um, it was right ac- right across from Wax Track, so as you know, we could go and record shopping and and peek over. Um, anyway, so uh, we eventually got to play in there, and and they were very very sweet about it. So as a band in those days. Um, before, you know, real internet. Um, you wanted to know where your band was playing. If you had a record out, you wanted to know what college stations were playing it. So you knew where to book shows. So I would constantly be going to Lounge X to borrow um Sue's copy. Oh, I'm sorry. The the owners are Sue Miller and Julie Adams. Um, and so I would constantly be going to borrow their copy of CMJ, which I think came out every two weeks to go like look at all the playlists and see who is playing the cocktails and then like okay we're being played in Pittsburgh let's 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 book a show in Pittsburgh we'll be we're pu- being played in champagne and so um i would bug her so often that Finally, one time when I went there to bugger, the place was stuffed with people. The outside was full of people. And I guess Poydog Pondering, um, which was a really big band at that moment um, on Sony and just like, you know, really exploding. um, We're playing like a week of free shows or not free shows, but like unannounced secret shows. And Sue told me to answer the phone, you know, like the phone. It just doesn't stop ringing. You know, I mean, I was just there to borrow a magazine and go across the street to Kinko's and answer the phone answer the phone <laughs> So I just answer the phone for hours until the show got too loud where i couldn't answer the phone anymore and at the end of the night she said come back tomorrow and answer that goddamn phone and wow. so i did that and so i i, I sort of became her assistant for, like from that you know like hey come back on monday and let's listen to demo tapes um that's so, cool yeah it was great um because I, I the club was great anyway you know just going there was great uh playing there was great and now like getting to you know be be there during the day and and, and assist her you know and see how the calendar came together and really get an education and um and and get to see you know the, in those days i was also working the the uh the door and so i would see you know eight or nine bands a, a week You know, some of those bands weren't great, but like some of those bands like were life changing. And so like to see many life changing bands like month after month, it was just it was amazing. It was it was the best. And Julia and Sue were the best um, also. So at that point, um, Sue Miller was going out with Jeff Tweedy from Uncle Tupelo. That was her boyfriend. And um, so I knew Jeff. We were maybe, you know, 22, 23 is when I first met Jeff. And um, you know, got to see Uncle Tupelo, and got to see him finish that out and start Wilco. And um, I remember I was at Sue's house. We were listening to dem- demo tapes, and Jeff had just come home from a recording session, and he had a CDR. It was the very first CDR I'd ever seen. He was <laughs> like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are like the rough mixes from the, our session." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, we just recorded <laughs> down in Austin, and like these are the rough mixes." And I was like what do you mean? <laughs> like I don't. I, what on a CD? How what does that work? Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, I remember that very, very clearly wow. as it was last week.
1: I would hope he, he maybe still has those, right? I mean, that's kind of like a
2: relic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Jeff throws anything away. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I start having a family and I can't work at LoungeX anymore. And I do have to um get other jobs and um I started doing a lot of uh, composing work as well um which was great. So Jeff of course starts Wilco and is very successful and gets the loft and and does all sorts of stuff and um he was preparing to re- to produce a Mavis Staples record um which was going to be his first big big record to do. Like he had helped friends make records before, he's obviously made his own records before, but this was like, you know, Mavis Staples, this was like, you know, the big time. And he was really putting himself out there. This was going to be a big thing. Of course, he was able to do it, but I, I just, I can imagine that 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 was a that was a big step up and a big leap. And so he was going to do it with Jim Scott, who is, uh, you know, he's done a, a million huge records, um, and I guess Wilco had worked with him prior prior to that. Anyway, so Mavis lives here in Chicago. She flew her band in from California, and they were ready to record. And Jim Scott called uh, maybe a day before the session was supposed to start, maybe two days. And he said, hey, Jeff, um, I'm in with the Dixie Chicks. They're going long. I can't make it. Good luck with the record. And so, you know, at that point, Mavis had already flown her band in and, you know, the record was going to happen. So at that point, Jeff... Asked around and talked to managements and 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 got different people saying, "Oh, you should try this guy. You should try this guy." So he heard about Tom Schick, who is in New York, who had worked at um, all sorts of great studios with all sorts of great bands. And he said, "Yeah, that sounds great." And and Tom's just finishing a job, and he can fly into Chicago. And so he did that. And, and then Jeff called me and said, "Hey, um, could could you come in and be an extra pair of hands?" You know, not knowing what was going to go on, um, just kind of throwing it all together and at that point i was i was doing uh my composer work at home you know if um and so it was no problem and so we came in and and you know a few weeks into it And then, you know, fast forward to a year later, that record wins a Grammy and very exciting. And it was an incredible experience, you know, Um, Mavis and her incredible band. And uh, Jeff did an amazing job and wrote a few songs for Mavis Mm. for the record and um, chose the material. And just the recording process was amazing. Um, Anyway, it was it was the whole thing was just mind blowing. But when it won that Grammy, Jeff was like, okay. This is the team.
1: Lock it up. Yeah. This
2: is Laura, exactly. Lock it up. At that point, Tom was coming in like two weeks at a time. He'd go back to New York for a week and then come back for two weeks because Jeff started using him for Wilco as well. And so at a certain point, Tom was just like, I'm just moving to Chicago. I'm moving my family <laughs> to Chicago. And um, and yeah, so we've kind of been here every right. day since. That's incredible. Yeah, it's 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 super great. And You know, Jeff has this amazing, this loft that he's kind of willed into being, you know, growing up, Mm -hmm. like wanting his monkeys loft, you know, and uh, he has it. And so in Tom, he has somebody who's here at all times, ready to record record quality, whatever, you know, Um, and I'm here to help in any way in any part of that from top to bottom. So, um, yeah, it's nice to have, uh, you know, a tight team that uh can help jeff do what jeff does you know i mean jeff should have a team helping him do what he does because he should only have to worry about the the things that he's so great at. you know
1: mark when you say you're you're kind of there to help from top to bottom like what does that all entail are you helping with uh like the engineering are you setting up for like the recording sessions how does that work
2: yeah, I mean, really a- anything and everything, you know, from uh, literally sweeping the floor to running my own sessions when Jeff's not working, Tom's not working. I get with Tom and I kind of split up the studio. So I have recorded records here as well. Um, but we have for the Wilco, there's it's kind of a small team. And so I help with videos and I help with uh, uh, social media imagery. And, you know, we, we all help each other out. It's a it's a really tight team.
1: You wear a lot of hats. Sounds like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the fun part of it. You know, that like, we all get to work hard, which is satisfying in itself. We all get to be creative in our ways. Jeff gives us all a lot of, uh, you know, a a lot of rope. Uh, He trusts his team um, and, and, you know, he, he has a vision, but he's uh, also very generous in sharing his vision and happy to, you know have his people be part of it as well so yeah it's pretty i'm i feel very lucky
1: you're creating a very uh down-to-earth picture of what the loft is like i mean uh, you know in a lot of wilco fans minds there's a lot of mystique around the loft you know it's it's where where the magic happens so i'm wondering if you could kind of break that down a little bit for us what does a typical day at the loft look like
2: so every day it's it's pretty civilized you know um we all uh, when we were all younger, we were doing those things where you recorded till two o'clock in the morning. And, oh, I just got to get this one part. And then, of course, you know, I can't make it till two o'clock because I stayed up all night. You know, that that kind of stuff doesn't you know, we're a little bit more civilized these days, <laughs> uh, which is nice. So we keep civilized hours. I get here usually around eight thirty in the morning and I can do a lot of stuff. There's usually social media stuff to do. I make uh, guitar straps out of old vintage belts. And so I get to do a couple of those a morning, which is nice before anybody gets here. Hammering isn't bothering anybody. And then getting the, the place cleaned up from the night before, prepped for the day. You know, what, what's what's happening? Are we having horn section coming in? Or, you know, does um, a piano need tuning or those kind of things? Um, and then Jeff usually comes in around lunchtime. We have lunch together. Um, and he hits it hard every day. You know, he records and writes music every day he fills hard drives full of stuff you know um because why not that's what you do you know um so it's not something that ends up being something that you like well you don't know that at the beginning you know so he's uh you know just like a, an artist sh- needs to keep sketching keeps to you know his hand needs to keep moving uh that's jeff he's he is bottomless you know he keeps coming up with it and so if it's not for Wilco, it's for uh, a Jeff Tweedy record, or he's um, producing somebody else or writing for somebody else. He just he is extremely good at what he does, and for somebody like that, you need to like give them the time and space to do that. Nothing should get in the way of him doing that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. I, I wish I had a a studio that I could just go to day in and day out and just create. I mean, that's like. That's the dream, the dream, right?
2: Yeah. It's the dream. He he gets to live the dream. But I mean, like, he's worked hard to oh, get the sure. dream. for sure. For sure, you know. Absolutely. And, and he's kind of gotten this place brick by brick. Um, They were smart, uh, Wilco, throughout their career. Instead of taking these advances and, and throwing it on these expensive studios or whatever, you know, they would buy equipment. And they built this place slowly but surely. When I got here, when I first started working here in 2009, you know, they had a great setup but there were still things to add and still things to upgrade and a couple of new mics to buy and a beautiful new Neve board. And, uh, you know, it, it, he's still, you know, he's still building his his studio. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I want to call back to the guitar straps you mentioned. We we interviewed um, EJ and Julie Glazer a while back. And they were, nice. uh, EJ, EJ was talking about how when he went to the loft, when they recorded for the Carpool Karaoke. Yeah. Uh, he was talking about how you, I think you gave him one of those straps and he was he showed it to us on on zoom and he's yeah. like yeah that's so cool <laughs> Yeah,
2: it's really it's really really fun i started doing that um just kind of as a one-off for for a, a birthday for jeff um jeff's the kind of guy who buys himself anything that he wants and so for years i was just buying him belt buckles that said jeff just because <laughs> I knew that wasn't he was never going to get that for himself. And it became this funny collection. Um, and then one year when I was looking, I found a belt that said Tweety on it. And so I asked my friend Jen, who does Soldier Straps, an incredible guitar strap company, uh, an incredible inspiration uh, also. Um, and she showed me how to do it. And so I made him this thing. and He's like, "Ooh, I really like that. Let's keep doing that. And so I kept get, kept finding these amazing old Western belts or, you know, hand tooled belts or just b- fun old belts. And then I started to sell them on reverb and uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a blast and it's, you know, making music is making a thing, but like hammering into leather in the morning, that's making a thing. That really is yes. a is a satisfaction. Making
1: that. something with your bare hands. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I was a printmaker yeah. in school and oh, so cool. that, that, that's, it's, Feels in in the same you know that kind of satisfying. That's amazing.
0: Mm. Well, this is kind of a natural segue to what you were just talking about with, with Jeff, and we're going to talk Wada. about pants. We're going to talk about <laughs> yeah, pants talk about and pants. belts. That's that part of the night. <laughs> well, what we've gathered from mainly, I think his his book, uh, How to Write One Song. I feel like there's a, a section where he's laying out his schedule for how he kind of structures his day the creative process and whatnot and we were curious what it's like when Wilco is on the cusp of making a new album does Jeff or or somebody know like hey these are going to be Wilco songs what we are currently working on is going to become a Wilco album and if if so kind of what that process looks like like when does the band get called in to come and And maybe that's different for every album, but what's what does that look like in the past for you guys?
2: Yeah, it is kind of different with each album. Um, Each album was made uh, in different ways. You know, only two of the Wilkos live in Chicago now, just Glenn and Jeff. Um, And so that's a factor to deal with. You know, there has to be some planning involved to bring people in. And these days, Jeff, you know, Jeff also has a son, Spencer, who plays amazing drums, too. So like between those two guys, Jeff can make, you know, a thousand records because Jeff plays so many things really great, but he's not a drummer. And so it's nice that he has like two awesome drummers in town. And I think even that sometimes dictates, I think. But, you know, like if Spencer's drumming on a demo of something, that's probably going to stay a Tweety song, a Jeff Jeff song. Um, If he brings Glenn in, it's probably because he hears it as a Wilco song. But I think it's more about looking at the calendar. If it's time to do a Wilco record, he will... Put those songs together, and and sometimes we bring everybody in, and and that's the thing. That, like Cruel Country, there, uh, two records ago, was was a uh, everybody looking at each other in the eyes in a circle, um, making that record, and and that's the kind of record. I, I, but the first Wilco record that I got to work on with Tom was. Um, the whole love. And that also was a very, everybody was there and everybody was adding parts and everybody was saying, Oh, why don't you do this? And I'll do that. And, you know, there was a lot of that kind of stuff, but then there are some records that are, um, Jeff has a lot of thoughts in his head already. Um, and, and maybe doesn't need as much input. Um, and so he'll put together some things first before we bring everybody in. So it's a little bit more of a reacting to what he has provided. To begin with okay um, I think making stuff I think you always have to mix things up I, I think you know uh the creative process can get stale if you do the same thing over and over and over again and if you use the same imagery and use the same whatever and so I think that is in you know, Jeff is a really smart in that way that he really wants to keep moving forward it's tough for him to just look back and and you know oh, well, that was a great record. Let's make one like that. You can't do that. You know, oh, that was a great song. I should write one like that. It's it's not how things are made and it's not how uh, the creative process should work. You have to face forward.
0: I feel like that's why a lot of us like Wilco because there is that, like, we we know we're not going to
2: get
1: something regurgitated.
2: I agree. Cousin
1: Cousin and Cruel Country couldn't be any different yeah. from each other. And
2: then remember Ode to Joy was before that. <laughs> you know, like what a yeah. what a crazy amazing record that was that in in a lot of ways was like no other Wilco record. Um Cousins certainly really is a whole different thing with Kate Lebon at the at the um Helm um and that was a, 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 the same kind of decision, you know, for Jeff it was, you know, we've done this. We can make records. We can make records in our sleep between the the six of those guys they've made a thousand records you know so why not hand the keys to somebody who a is amazing mm-hmm. um, incredible songwriter incredible band leader and singer incredible uh, her albums you know incredible producer why not hand her the keys and see what she comes up with you know see what shape she turns this piece of clay into that was really you know at this point in their career i thought that was a super brave thing to do um not that it's going to get hurt or anything, but, you know, to hand your, you know, these are, these are important to them. They're the songs and to hand them to somebody else was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I thought it was a, a, a bold move.
1: And, and how does, how does that kind of shift the dynamics in the loft? You know, when Tweedy's handing the keys over to Kate LeBond to put her stamp on the album, what, it, what was the dynamic shift in the recording process?
2: I think in a lot of ways, Jeff is prone to gravitating to a certain propelling drum something. You know, we all love, you know, bands like Big Star or Bad Company or, you know, things like that. And so not to say that you're just heading in those directions, but like things that are a little bit more looser or or the sound of a rock band, you know. And I think Kate has a little bit more of a textured approach. Some of the things are uninteresting to her. And so she has a much more mannered way of thinking about certain things that seem like, you know, you don't even think about it. You let the drummer play drums like, well, no, let's do this, you know, like. And so I think that because of that, it really, um, you know, they stayed Wilco songs. Of course, you're going to have Jeff singing them and, you know, they're his songs and chord progressions and there are these guys playing on it and everything. So it can't not be a Wilco song, but it, it really did feel like um, a little bit of a, of a different lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I think the record, I think it's a really unique record anyway, unique because it's unique, but I think it's unique in their catalog. Um, I think it, it really is very different from, from what's come before it. Yeah.
1: Were, were there moments like in on the spot, you guys are getting ready to lay down a, a track, and and Kate would be like, "Hey, let's actually try this completely different approach." Yeah, and it changed the the entire like atmosphere of the song. Oh, definitely. I think of songs like "Sunlight Ends." Like, did it always start with that electronic drum beat in the beginning? Because the first time I heard that, I was like, "This doesn't sound like anything Wilco's done before." And that, yeah, that totally. to Lance's point, that's what is so exciting about Wilco, right? Is they're just constantly trying on new uh sounds and evolving and we get these really interesting records as a result
2: yeah it's kind of like you know you've thrown all your life with your right hand and then somebody says you know you should really try throwing with your left hand you yeah. know like it was those kind of things where like huh okay yeah let me try that uh, and and you know it it got to the point where she and she and Jeff also, you know, they they really came together in, in great ways. And he really listened to a lot of her thoughts. And and he also trusted her even when she would come up with something that maybe what, you know, wasn't what he would think to do. Or, and, and maybe he even thought to himself, no, that's not what we do. I, I think, you know, I, he was better off for um, letting her letting her steer it
1: we had we had in our our notes here, mark that uh Kate Lebon actually quoted you in uncut magazine as uh describing cousin as Wilco, but with a new lighting director,
2: right, yeah, 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 totally
1: just kind of a new approach, yeah,
2: yeah, it really was it, it was like you know we always see them head on, but she got them from an angle, you know mm-hmm. in a shadow or something. she has a really unique vision. she's a really amazing artist in all ways so it was uh it was really cool to put this these songs in her hands
1: do, do you foresee i'm going off the script lance um yeah I've do you foresee wilco kind of taking that same approach for the next album like maybe bringing in continuing to bring in outside producers maybe not exactly kate Lebon, but
2: hard to say yeah hard to say yeah i think um it, that was great and i think maybe a big part of that decision was because it was kate I think maybe there's, I, I, you know, I can't really think of the the other person that would be good in that position. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, a, par- a part of making records is the making of records and Jeff loves to be the producer loves to be, you know, loves to call the shots and, and bend things the way he wants them bent. So um, I, I think the other thing that Jeff does, which is great. And I think a lot of people do a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, visual artists as well, they bounce off their last thing by push off of it to the next thing, you know, yeah. so they follow the next thing. It's, it's a it's um it's a way to push you into something in the opposite direction. So it's hard to say, you know, I'm listening to stuff that Jeff is working on now and you don't know what it is until it's finished, but it's in its own new path. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to go
0: off script for a second because we're talking about just leadership and and the the way that he directs things. What does his relationship look like with inviting the band's opinions into the shaping of a song or an album? Like, does he get the, the ultimate say and what happens with the song? Is he, because I just think about like, um, I feel like with star Wars, what I've heard is like that started off more Jeff. And then people kind of like came in together to do their parts. Like, Does he already have an idea, like, this is what I want it to sound like, record this? Or is he actively inviting? What would you do with this part, Glenn? Or what does that look like exactly?
2: I think he's both of those things at the same time. I think he really has an idea of what his thing is. He really, in his mind, when he's playing guitar, he hears his bass line. He hears... A bass line that not a not a regular bass player would would play. You know, he he writes bass lines like a lyricist rather than like a bass player. Hmm. So like those kind of points of view give him his, his own way into his own songs. But at the same time, when you do everything and it's all from your own head, sometimes that can that little echo chamber. Can just be it's 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 a difficult thing, and it's nice to have you know these guys break that up with their own thing, or like you know find the note that he wasn't thinking of, or you know this one section is a counter to the thing that he was doing, and all of a sudden that means something or feels you know emotionally different. So um, he's very open to those guys. I mean, you know, really, I mean, everybody would agree. At the end of the day, it's his decision and his, but. I don't think that's the way we work, you know, the way we work, everybody's, you know, doing their thing. You know, you can't really just like tell Nels what to do. You know, you got to let sure. Nels Klein do what Nels Klein does. And, you know, like <laughs> that's, you not you be contained. Yeah. Rested if you stopped him from doing what he does. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I think he plays with these guys for a reason, you know, um, he trusts them and he likes what they do. And, uh, um, yeah, no. When they're together, they work as a band.
0: They got a good thing down. Yeah. Well, Mark, one of the questions we had was, and you were already kind of alluding to this, but are you able to tease anything about what's what's in Wilco's future? Are they? Is it too early to be talking about? album 14
2: um it is too early yes <laughs> okay <laughs> One I, can I can't hope. really there's not really much um you know 2000 uh, 2024 is is a little bit of a less active year for wilco um they have japan and australia coming up we have our solid sound festival in june the end of june and they'll do a few dates i think around that and i think that's about it for 2024 wow um well,
1: 2023 was like non-stop so i exactly i and totally understand it was like
2: kind of like two records and one of those records was a double record you know so like yeah they've been, <laughs> they've been <laughs> they need yeah. a break pretty busy yeah. yeah
1: mark do you do you get to go to solid sound do you go ever go on tour with those guys
2: i never go on tour no um
1: but you go to the the bigger like festival type yeah, stuff Yeah,
2: I we all kind of play a part in Solid Sound. Cool. Um we also have a festival that's happened in Mexico 3 times that we all get to go to as well, which is a total blast. We uh, they did a residency in Iceland uh last year and we all got to go to that as well, which was super super fun, but um uh, no, they're they're on, you know, it's they're 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 at work when they're on tour. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. And and we we like to keep the studio rolling when they're gone, you know, when they're gone, Tom and I split up the calendar and we get to do outside stuff that just is kind of like waiting in the wings for uh, available time.
1: Well, well, we'll we will be at Solid Sound uh as oh, well. This is our our second time going, so yeah. maybe we'll bump into you there. That'll be fun.
2: It's it's a great lineup this year. I I just I, I'm so excited for it.
1: Yeah. Mm. For sure. Mark, before we kind of move into our last like lightning round, we call it, you mentioned earlier, just to call back, you know, Wilco's kind of built the loft brick by brick, piece by piece. And I'm looking behind you in your, in your background. And we got just to describe to our listeners, uh, first of all, we have a disco ball, which is awesome. Got some nice mood lighting, but then we have several, it looks like toms and snare drums, maybe up near upper uh, left. And then several guitars below you there. Man, I can't even count. I I'm seeing here. So, you know, we're we're always seeing on the Loft's Instagram you're you're posting these like outlandish guitars. I think I saw one the other day that had elk horns or something, some sort yeah. of a, like <laughs> Viking-esque uh, horn piece. Where where do you got where do you come across these and talk to us a little bit about the the process of procuring these hundreds of guitars, these instruments that you have at your disposal?
2: Well, Jeff, the the next guitar will be the last guitar. You know, the next (laughs) guitar will be the last guitar. Um, He just, you know, they're his tools. So you want really good tools. And every once in a while, you'll see a tool pop up. And you want that tool. Um, He has an incredible collection. Um, The best part of it is, is it's not just a stodgy collection like a lot of people at this level. Collecting a super like, oh, it's all this or it's all this year or it's all, you know, stuff that's worth this much and over. Um, Jeff has a a super wide collection where he has, you know, some real workhorses, some pre-war, you know, uh, 30s, 40s, 20s, even um, beautiful American guitars. Acoustic guitars are, you know, um, beautiful old Fenders and Gibsons. and um, But he also has super nutty stuff. He has crazy 60s Japanese or Czechoslovakian um, bizarre guitars. And um, he just, it's wide. Uh, you know, he also has more drums than Glenn does. He can't stop <laughs> oh, buying what? these great 60s kits. I mean, I think he originally was buying them for Spencer um, and buying from, from the studio. The studio is like another excuse, too. It's like, oh, well. I don't play drums, but we need drums in the studio. So <laughs> totally. beautiful, this beautiful Slingerland cat. Um, so, you know, it, it, things like that. But we also have like tons of crazy, weird little keyboard things or or little turn of the century, you know, um, zithery kind of things, little electronic toys. And um, it's just, f- f- you know, all the colors, you know, you want all the tools, you want all the colors. This place is big, you know, so it, we can put all the stuff in here um no it's a great collection and it grows every day we try to sell some stuff we try to do these loft sales i think we've done three or four of them where we'll put together you know a pile of like 60 instruments and some other things and they sell really quickly and it's great and then like the day after you can't even like where were they because it's still full (laughs) so we're wow, actually amazing. thinking about maybe doing another one this year that's something that hopefully that'll happen this year there's well, another I'll, keep,
1: I'll keep my eyes out i'm in the market yeah. for for a new guitar
2: we have friends in in special places that look out for jeff also there's a lot of people that know the kind of stuff that he might like um we used to have this great guy carl who used to work at the the um uh chicago music exchange the big big guitar store yeah here in- he just liked he had a really good sense of what Jeff might like, you know, has, has ever tried one of these? No, no, no. Yeah. Hey, he should try this, you know? And, and then we have uh, our, our friend Rob in California who comes across great stuff. And, you know, again, like, you know, every 10th or 11th guitar, he'll be like, Oh, this is one that Jeff would like. <laughs> there's a great shop called RetroFret in New York uh, that our friends that have great, great gear that we love. And there's a lot of people, around that um you know i mean it's not hard to find something that you want to buy the hard part is not buying it yeah (laughs) yeah so uh
0: they're his tools you know this is what he does i'm just i'm just thinking like mark what a cool life you've got (laughs) like getting to like hang out there and be around all these tools, these creative people, yourself included. That's, that's I feel incredible. lucky.
2: Yeah, no, I feel lucky. The, the, and and again, um, Jeff is very sharing with his creativity and his creative space. And yeah, no, I feel super lucky for sure.
1: All right. So we, we do this thing with our, our uh, interviewees, our guests uh, called the lightning round. Very original. <laughs> you work with Wilco, but we assume you're also a fan of their music, right? So we wanted to know, Mark a few of your favorite Wilco album songs, so we can start with this question: What is your favorite Wilco song? If you had to pick one,
2: it changes all the time. Um, currently, it would—I would probably say uh, "Country Song Upside Down." Oh, this song is to freaking die for. That is just—that song kills me.
0: Drop the mic, right? <laughs> I found a song upside down
2: country song like a child
1: but you know like
2: I would also say, you know, Art of Almost and One Sunday Morning, because mm. that was the first record, the first Wilco record that I was here for. Yeah. And so those are special to me anyway, but what's, what amazing songs they are. I mean, it changes all the time. Cars Can't Escape is a great song.
1: We just did a, a deep dive into Country Song Upside Down on our last episode. Yeah. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, What yeah. a
2: song, you know, like get a lump in your throat right away yes. and it's not go away. Yeah, it's a good one.
0: Mark, was that was that song recorded? For pretty much what we heard, like very little uh, editing involved with that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like one Sunday morning, you know. Sometimes these things just roll out. Wow, it's it's magic. I mean, you know, w- that's an overused thing you say about bands recording in a studio. You know, like it's where the magic happens or whatever. That's you know, it's magic. It's magic. They believe. You know, like those guys. No, yeah, they're very good. (laughs) good. And he writes beautiful songs and and the way it comes out of his mouth is, you know, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's on. That's a great choice.
0: What do you think is the most underrated Wilco album?
2: Definitely Ode to Joy for the reason that, you know, they were two weeks into their tour and uh, the pandemic happened, and they they had to oh. cut it short. And so that record really never got the full touring treatment that it should have. Wow. Um, and so I think for that reason, uh, it doesn't make a lot of people's you know request lists. Or you know, it just you know there's some songs that have that, that have hung on into into the live set, but like it just never really got its moment. Um, and it's an incredible record. It's a really like there's some strange orchestral ways of doing things on that record. The way Glenn, you know, it's not really kit drumming, you know, he kind of pulled it apart. And um, and and drums are way up front on that record, too. Mm-hmm. They're the, Like, you know, the centerpiece. It's a real moody record. I think a lot of people may be like, you know, it's not it's not it's not cool ranch or it's not you know sour patch so it's like it doesn't exactly draw you in but um it's a real subtle beautiful record that i I think is is one of those ones that will hit people more as they, you know you know later
0: you remind me how lucky i am i got to see them in denver i'm in denver morgan's in chicago and i got to see them in december 2019 and that was I think that was my last concert before the world shut down so yeah I'm privileged to have caught that
2: yeah yeah not many of those shows yeah I was here at the loft um recording a record for this woman Edith Frost you know Edith Frost she used to put out records on Drag City long ago in the 90s she's super wonderful and we were here recording starting her record here assuming that Wilco was on tour you know and then we got the call you know on, on March 13th that's like wilco's they're in canada but they're coming back because the border's about to be shut down and and that's it yeah so uh yeah so that record really yeah yeah you are lucky because those are really uh, amazing songs live too
1: what would you say your favorite opening track on any wilco album would be mark
2: well, again, I have to go back to the first Wilco record, you know, uh, and, and Art of Almost was such an um, oddball anyway, and this start with the noisy and the uh, all the hard drives turning on, and, you know, what a, again, a bold way of opening a record with a, this thing that kind of has this kind of beat that's not really heard in any other Wilco song, and sounds and, you know, um, real kind of bubbling synthesizers, and then it just crumbles into a single voice you know like you know that that song just like it kills No, it's kind of, it's everything. It's a huge ride. Hard to beat that. It's like you've never heard another
0: Wilco song, or or for that matter, like, I haven't heard many songs that sound like Art of Almost. Was that one of those, Mark, where, they, where, like, the band was, like, a little more active with, like, contributing parts and whatnot?
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. But also, that song started completely different. And I think maybe, I can't remember if it's been released or not, but the original version was much more... Like a, a like and B song, you know, it was way <laughs> more of a, a you know, like it just had a little bit of a groove to it and um it kind of grew into that, you know, like nine drum kits and bubbly this and bubbly that and then the huge Nels that, you know, freak out and um yeah, that that was a song that throughout the uh the process of the whole love just kept getting like oh yeah, this is oh got to build this here like, we'll oh build it we got to build a porch on this you know and <laughs> yeah that that took a lot of effort but the uh, blueprint
1: changed several times yeah, yeah.
2: what a success wow <laughs> yeah yeah but yet on that same record one sunday morning l- poured out you know like that yeah pretty much a performance you know that's mm-hmm. just a that's just wilco doing what wilco does this is how i talk.
0: Oh, sun is gone.
2: You know, it's a real emotional song. The real emotional lyrics. And yeah. it goes on for a long time. It really, it pulls you through this long, long landscape. Amazing song. I also love it that it's like, like a lot of Wilco stuff where it has a foot in a genre you know, you know it has a foot in this or foot in that but it's thoroughly Wilco you know it, it, the twists and turns are their, their own uh, yeah it's that's a that's a thrilling song I, I whatever jeff plays i like if if i'm ever asked that's the song i choose also because it's hilarious to make him play a 13 minute song <laughs> but um, yeah good choice a, yeah yeah
1: those two songs kind of show the range of of Wilco, right? I mean, truly, they couldn't be any different. But
0: yeah, yeah, same record. Mm. What a great album! Oh my goodness, love it! Oh
2: album. my gosh, there's so many great songs on that. I mean, oh. you know, wow, what a record! Pat produced that, right? No, it was Jeff Pat did some producing okay. on it. He did some production. He was well, very involved in the control room on that record. Um helped Jeff. I think maybe uh, they were a little bit uh, there's a couple songs that were um less finished than than uh, normal and so they would work out m- middle parts together. Um Pat was very involved in it. I mean I I, th- okay. I think he got a um an additional production credit but um Okay still Jeff kind of at the, at the helm. And, but yeah, no, Pat. And and so Pat lives in Nashville and that's what Pat does too. You know, he's a, he's a producer, you know, because that guy, I mean, uh, the knowledge base inside of Pat's head is, is incredible. You know, he really, he's a keeper of the licks also, you know, he, he is an incredible piano player and plays what you want, exactly what you want him to play. He's an incredible guitarist and it's so funny that wilco has three bass players you know like and each one's better than the next they're all amazing <laughs> bass players but like out of all the things that pat as as great as he is in a million things and a beautiful voice yeah. his bass playing is to die for he's a killer oh. bass player yeah huh yeah, he's wow. a real yeah there's a, a lot of a lot of uh wow in these guys yeah.
0: has he played bass on any wilco songs
2: I'm not sure if if he's played on a, a bass on a Wilco song, but he might have. Able, I can't remember if this was the the final take. But when they did "You and I" with uh, Feist, I think it might have been a demo. I can't tell if it was if it went final or if it was a demo. But he played bass in the studio that day on it. So I, again, I don't know if that's what ended up being the, the album version, but more bands should really be knocking down his door to produce Mm. them Sure, Mm. that makes sense.
1: Also a talented photographer while we're, while we're piling out to Pat, Pat. you know, he's, he was
2: touring as part of the big star, you know? Um, and he's like, you know, buddies with the zombies and, you know, he just, he, he, his musical, he has so much talent. He can hang with the best of them. Yeah.
0: Okay, Mark. If you could only recommend one song from Wilco to somebody who's never heard of Wilco, this can't, is your elevator pitch. Can't do it. Can't do it.
2: No. I mean, I just like here first. I want. I need to start with. I don't care to talk anybody into anything. You know what I mean. Fair, yeah. <laughs> You know, like, uh, oh, the thing that's great about the music that I love is how I feel about it. You know, I don't care if anybody else likes Neil Young or if anybody else likes Andy Schaaf or if anybody else likes Azita. I those things are meaningful to me. So, you know, I have three kids, you know, and, and their musical tastes overlap a little bit with mine, but they should have their musical taste and they should find the emotion in their music. They shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't have. I don't I don't like talking to anybody like that. I love know? that.
0: Great yeah. answer. Great answer.
1: All right. Last question for you, Mark. If you had to pick a desert Island disc, something you had to listen to the rest of your life and it doesn't have to be Wilco. <laughs> Another hard one. Another yeah. hard. I know it's, it's almost impossible. You can do that, you know?
2: And yeah. it's like, it really changes every week. Right. You know, sure. I mean, you know, I think of after the gold rush is one of those records that I've listened to a million times and I'm happy to listen to it a million more. Devo's. Are we not men? The feelies, good earth. Uh, Joni Mitchell's Court and Spark. I mean, all of these records I could listen to forever on repeat. Yeah. Mm. Currently, it's Kate Lebon. Currently, yeah. the current record that I can't stop playing is uh, Pompeii.
1: Oh, same. Yeah. I got hooked on that last, like, a year ago in the spring. And that was on repeat. Still is. Nice. <laughs> I mean, it's a phenomenal record.
2: It's it's phen- And so is, you know, uh, Mug Museum. So is, mm. you know, I, I mean, like, you know. That's she makes great records. She makes great records as simple as that. I was kind of surprised
1: yeah. she wasn't in the uh, solid sound lineup this year.
2: We don't do repeats. Ah, okay. Oh, really? So this is going to be our eighth solid sound. There are no repeats. There are wow. some people that are smart enough to have multi bands. So Scott McCoy, for instance, has done the baseball project. He's done minus five. Um, uh, he's coming no. back this year with young, fresh fellows. Um, We've had Andy Schaff play twice because he played as Andy Schaff and then he played as Fox Warren, his other band, things like that. Where, But no, but other than that, we don't do repeats. Other than uh, the Wilco bands themselves, you know, we do on Fillmore and the Nels Klein singers and things like that, uh, uh, Autumn Defense.
1: Does the, does the same rule apply to comedians?
2: It doesn't. Okay. Compl- it doesn't. Yeah. Um, John Hodgman is usually in charge of of that. Uh and that doesn't apply to comedians.
1: Gotcha. Wow. This has been a lot of fun, Mark. For me too.
2: Thank you.
0: Wow. Yeah, Mark, we, again, we are just thrilled to make the connection with you. And, and uh, re- yeah, I, it's, I'm it's i pinching myself. Like, we're talking to the manager of the loft here. And
2: that was so <laughs> cool. Thank
0: you so much for your time. <laughs> yeah, we will hopefully look forward to seeing you at Solid Sound at some point.
2: Sounds great. Yeah, that's going to be a blast. Okay.
0: Well, thanks so much and have a great night. And we'll talk to you when we talk to you next, Mark.
1: Thanks again, Mark. Thanks so
2: much, guys. Take care. Wilco
1: the Podcast is produced by Lance Hill and Matt Morgan. Editorial and theme music by Matt Morgan. You can find us on Instagram at Wilco the Podcast or shoot us an email at wilcothepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.